Gun trashed uncut, yeah you know that's us Where we only speak the real and the real rock with us Where we motivate the people and the politic on success Oh no we ain't DJ Kelly, but they swear we the best Gun trashed uncut Contrast Uncut, Season 3, Episode 28. Man, big shout-outs to Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby D Presents. I appreciate you, brothers. Man, it's your host, DJ Wine Dollars Like I Won Some Money, a.k.a. Zylo. Ladies and gentlemen, if you ain't know by now, if you ain't paying attention to the other screen, I got a very legendary special guest. He's a part of the world-famous group Cypress Hill. He has toured the world and, and, you know, done a whole bunch of extravagant things like a rock star should. I mean, he's still creating music. He's, you know, from hits on hits on hits, from Insane in the Brain to Rock Superstar to current, you know, he did all the prohibitions with Burner and Los Metos to Serial Killers with Exhibit and Dimrick. I mean, the brother is still working, a major entrepreneur, Dr. Green Thumb himself. Be Real TV. Be Real, everybody. How you doing, brother? What's good, man? Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, how's everything been going? What you been doing during the, you know, the uh, time away from time? Lately, you know, we've been, I, I got a number of projects going on. I, you know, as you mentioned, I work with Demrick and, and Exhibit. So, you know, I started writing for uh, some material for, for some new serial killer shit that uh, hmm. we're working on. And, uh, you know, just uh, writing songs and stuff like that, and then creating content in terms of uh, my Dr. Green Thumb podcast, you know. Just been doing like interview interviews via Zoom and, and things like that, same as this. And, uh, you know, just trying to keep busy whatever way we can, you know, while we're parked at the crib, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. You know, I've been saying this a lot lately. It's the people that work from inside the box to, to do things outside the box that makes a difference during this time. You know, you could fall 10 steps behind or you could jump 20 steps ahead because everybody's at a standstill. Real shit. So, bruh, I got this quote, you know, let me know how it relates to you or if it doesn't, I don't give a fuck. I just want you to talk about it. So I'm going to let you hit it, you know, and then hit me with it. The difficult is that which can be done immediately. The impossible that which takes a little longer. George Santiana. Um... But what that what that's pertaining to is the easy shit you can get, the low hanging fruit. You know, you can get that shit without effort, but that right there is fleeting. It's only gonna last so long. You know, there's no foundation is in the easy shit. The stuff that takes um a minute to make happen, that it takes work and time and effort, all that work and time and effort that, that you're 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 using to to you know, make something great, that's building foundation that's going to stay there and it's going to last. And so sometimes the shit that's harder to get to is the shit that's going to last you the longest and be the most fulfilling and most fruitful. You know what I mean? A lot of people tend to go for the easy, quick money, but that money don't last. You know, you want to build something where, you know, you're, you know, that bag is continuous that look is continuous is timeless or or you know it's such a great business move that 
you know, it, it, it's going to continue to happen and, and things are going to expand and you're going to branch out and, and get bigger as you go because you took the time to build it, took the time to, to get familiar with it and, and know exactly what the fuck you're doing with it and how to put it out there. And, yeah. um, and, that, and that could go for music, that could go for cannabis, it could go for any, any, anything you're doing. You know what I'm saying? If you're trying to be a musician, you know, there's shortcuts to learning shit you know all day um but realistically this the stuff you take time for it pays off in the end you know that because it's work i mean you know we have fun doing what we love and shit like that but it's also work and it, and it takes time and effort to be great at the work that you do or you could be mediocre you know usually that quick shit that quick money is it's like mediocre shit so you know right. you we try to go for the long game, you know, whether it's longevity in, in music and business, um, you know, that, that's, that's what we go for, man. We don't go for the short term game cause that it don't last long. And, and, and in the end, what do you have? You know? Well, you know, you can reflect on the history and the history is all there. You guys attracted wealth from, you know, pretty much the time you guys jumped on the scene and, you know, translated those numbers and having people really get interested into what you guys were doing as a unit. And then, you know, throughout that, you transitioned, reinvented yourself and kept the, the pot moving. I mean, you took the, the longevity route, the build relationships route, and, you know, create something that, that will be there to last the uh, test of time and be able to hold it. A lot of these people make the quick moves because they can't attract well. They got something hot and, you know, they don't know what to do with it. So what they do, they put it on the front big burner, let that shit sizzle and it's gone. Yeah. And versus, you know, you got crock pot motions. You got some stuff that's microwave just because you adapt. But at the same time, there's there's so much core values in what you do from the branding to the music to to I mean, even to the podcast, to the genuine, genuine conversations that you have. And so, you know, that segues to my moment. I got to ask you, I'm talking about music here and shit and the weed industry. You feel like the game chose you or did you choose the game? Uh, which one? <laughs> Let's start off with music, bruh. With the music. um. I don't know, man. I think we met in the middle. <laughs> I think we met in the middle because, you know, I mean, I grew up listening to all kinds of different music. You know, did I know it at, when I was a youngster that I would be doing music? I didn't have really those aspirations. It, it was it was mainly when music became the hobby. You know, when we was into, you know, the hip hop culture, you know, in terms of b-boying and, and graffiti and, and all that stuff. The next transition out of that for for my homies and my group was like going from, you know, b-boying and, and, and popping and shit like that to, you know, getting on the mic. And, you know, that that's, it, it, it happened like that for me, you know, cause I had a love for, for hip hop music just as a, as a fan and seeing, you know, and being a popper myself and my homies were b-boys and shit like that. And we go out and represent the culture and battling and shit like that. Um, so to, to get into the, to the wordsmith aspect of it, I was always writing poetry as a kid. So it was like something that, that I figured, you, you know, maybe I could do that. And with the help of Send Dog's younger brother, Mellow Man Ace, um, you know, he sort of helped me transition into getting into writing those words to music and shit like that. So it was something that, 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 I didn't anticipate I'd be doing, to be honest with you. You know, it was a it was a hobby and shit, and we love to do it. 
Um, but we're a very competitive group of guys growing up. You know what I mean? We used to play all the sports. We'd play against other neighborhoods, other blocks, um, other cities and shit like that. And when we had our b-boy and hip-hop battles, we'd be battling crews from different cities, obviously, and shit like that. So we're always very competitive. And, and I, I got to ask, what was you writing poetry about? Like, what was the bars like back then? Was you rapping? I mean, was you writing poetry about, like, what was going on, what you seen at a young age and processing? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, you know, the, 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 you know, reflecting on what I was doing every day. Who, you know, like what me and my clique of homies was doing and shit like that. And sometimes I'd write that shit on the desk and obviously get in trouble from the teacher. And, yes, uh, sir. you know, but that's, that's, that's where my mindset was. I didn't know, I didn't know what, what I was doing with this poetry. I was just doing it. And, you know, fortunately it helped me to understand writing songs, you know what I mean? And getting those points on beat, um, you know, because it's, it's, it's all in, in pockets that you flow and shit, you know, you end up on the beat in different places. And when you do poetry, you tend not to even think of the beat. You're more about the words, but realistically, when you're putting poetry to music, you better think about how those words fit on that beat. Like they got to dance. You know what I'm saying? Those words got to dance. <laughs> you know uh, I mean? They got to look like diamonds in the sun, boy. That's right. So, you know, um, it, it, it was one of those things. And with, with, with cannabis, I think it called to me. <laughs> realistically you know what I'm saying it wasn't it wasn't something I ever thought that I mean I knew the possibilities we all believed in the possibilities of of what it could be in terms of legalization but if you asked me back then you know was I going to have a store or stores called Dr. Green Thumbs where you know cannabis and cannabis products are sold out of it you know that's that's not something I thought about you know, because I was solely an artist, you know, all I wanted to do was make music, tour, play the, these these songs that we would make for people and affect people that way, right? Um, but being that, you know, I was always into cannabis, not just consuming it, but cultivating it, learn, learning about it, um, activism and advocacy and all that shit, you know, it was, that was another natural progression. Others could say that I met it in the middle, but really it called to me from a young age. I mean, shit, when I was, <laughs> when I was a, a, a teen teenager, you know what I mean? I, I was, I was like fucking running around with the, a crew of badass kids and we'd hop into people's backyards that we knew had weed plants and we'd take those plants for the homies, older brothers and shit like that. And uh, so I've always had this little homies. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've always had this relationship with weed, you know what I mean? Um, who knew that I would have stores called, you know, named after, you know, the song I wrote. It, I, I did not call that one, but, you know, I figured if I was going to get into it, because, you know, for, for many years, Cypress talked about it, but we, there was some reluctancy because, you know, all the laws weren't as they are. So I, I took my time to, you know, take that Dr. Green Thumb um, song and build it into first uh, an alter ego. Then uh, from that alter ego, I would throw parties under that name and, and uh, throw events. And then right. eventually start to put out cannabis products w with the name. 
and you know we would think of, we'd put different strains out under the Dr. Green Thumb name. Then eventually, you know, the opportunity came to open up some stores, and uh, you know, we we never looked back. So, you know, I want to go back to the music just a little bit. Uh, you know, we're talking about Mellow Man Ace. You're talking about dropping poems. What was like the first confirmation that, you know, this is what you're supposed to be doing with your life is, you know, in the culture, in the hip hop game, into just music well, in general? So there was a time that I pulled away from the crew, right? Um, and I was banging. I was, uh, <laughs> I was straight up banging. I, I was <laughs> blood uh, from from a crew called 89th Street Family Swans. And uh, probably a lot of people don't know that because I don't flex it all the time. In the early days when people ask me, you know, yeah, I, I might I might give some reference, but that's that's who I was running with at the time. And for for in that time, I was all about soldiering and slanging and, and you know, all about that shit. And while I was doing that, you know, Mello and Send Dog um, and Muggs and Julio G, um, who, you know, Julio G is actually the one that introduced us to Muggs. If he hadn't made us that, if he hadn't made that introduction, most likely there would be no Cypress Hill. Um, but, you know, we were all friends at this young age and shit like that. And when, when I went off to bang, these guys were like pursuing the music. It went from hobby to this is what we're going to do, right? That's that's what they were, you know, that's what their mentality was. We're going to get in here somehow, right? And um, Muggs got in with 7A3 and he was doing a little bit of production with them and, and networking and, and, you know, getting his... Uh, Getting, getting some moves lined up for later. And, you know, in the process of that, he helped Mello get a deal with Delicious Vinyl and then eventually Capitol Records. And, you know, they were doing demos and shit like that. And they, they kept coming at me, you know, like, hey man, why don't you come up out the hood and, and come, to, come to the studio with us and shit like that. And I was like, man, I ain't gonna make no money rapping. Get out of here with that shit, you know? I was totally like, closed-minded on that shit. I was like told, you know, like soldier for my hood. So I didn't hear anything else. I was just totally blocked off. And I don't remember when and why I decided to, you know what, I'll, fuck it, I'll come write a song with you. I'll, I'll see, you know, I, maybe I wanted to test myself, I guess, to see if I could still write. Cause I was good at writing. I wasn't necessarily a great rapper at that point. I, I was actually really mediocre in terms of delivery and sound I developed my shit later but my writing was always pretty on point and they you know they knew that and they felt they had the confidence that I could come come back after I'd been away for so long from the, their circle to to come back and do something so you know they convinced me to come back um to write something with Melo on his first album and I wrote something called River Cubanos and maybe one other song and I helped him with a number of songs and I'm not gonna name drop the main song because you know, they'll always deny it. But <laughs> I helped him with that shit. A lot of us helped him with, with shit, you know, we don't necessarily get the credit for it, but yes, it's true, we did. Um, but- You deny history. Yeah, but we, you know, we didn't get our credits for it, we didn't get our publishing for it, I didn't get nothing, but 
what I realized is after I heard the song that I wrote for him and he, him kicking it, I realized that I still had my writing ability, right? So uh. eventually, you know, I start doing shit with mugs and we start crafting something, but it's not there yet. And then Send Dog comes into the fold because, you know, he was doing hype shit for his brother. And then eventually he came in with us, you know, to, to make the, the Cypress Hill squad, which was set, uh, Send Mugs and I. And, uh, you know, we, we went through demo mode for a minute, man, before I found my voice and before I found my style. My, again, my writing was there, but it took a minute. But if it wasn't for those two, those three guys coming back to me and saying, hey, you know, we want you to write for mellow shit, you know, see if you could still get down. I would probably have, have stood there in the hood until what usually happens. You, either you fucking on, get killed. On. I know exactly what you're talking about. Either you go to the pen or you know you're lucky enough to fucking get up out of there. Oh gee, I used to ride the uh the train right there on Figueroa and what is that? Like uh right past uh 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 Imperial. Yeah. And like, you know, I saw this documentary of you years ago when I was I used to live in the hood in South Central. And so, you know, we'd drive the car, park it over there, hop on the thing, go to UCLA. And so I seen this documentary and I was like, oh shit, that's the area where Be Real, you know, talking about where he got hit at. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, all right, so I need to stop getting off the freeway on Vermont and cutting through this neighborhood. I need to go all the way down in Imperial and turn right. <laughs> oh yeah. I, you know, we was being reckless, man. You know, um, at the time when I got shot right there was on Imperial in Hoover. You know, I was I was hanging out with with uh, a couple homies from my hood and some Dever Lane homies, um, and you know we went to go get a bag of weed, ironically. Wow. <laughs> and, we, and we rolled out slipping, you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, you know shit happens, but yeah, that was that story, you know. And I, you know I was still in the hood for a minute, you know, before I I came up out of there and 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 started writing with with Sand and Mellow and, and uh, Muggs, you know what I'm saying? I was Bro, when, did, when did the music become real to you? Where you was like, you know what, I'm trapping, I'm making money out here in the streets, my life is good. But when it was like, you know, the music is better than what I'm doing? I'll tell you this, right? Um, it was it was when Mellow and I wrote Real Estate. Like, we, there's two versions of Real Estate. There's the 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 album version that Mello wrote, because we traded songs. I wrote him River River Cubanos, he wrote me Real Estate. I flipped the version in the video version. It's the same cadence, slightly different words and stuff like that. But in that song, I had already written some of the stuff that would go on to the album, but my delivery was different. But on Real Estate, that's when I flipped my voice. You know what I mean? And, and, and I started rapping in a voice that is not my talking voice and my original voice I tried to rap with, you know, back in the day. I went with that higher pitch voice. And from real estate, we tried that tone on the rest of the songs that we thought were good, like Kill a Man, which was called Trigger Happy at the time, you know what I'm saying? And uh, from, from that one song, Real Estate, that's how I developed my style from there and we just added it on to a couple songs that we thought were as good as real estate. And then we started doing 
newer songs with that voice. And then Send Dog developed the Psycho Beta voice, which is the hoo, that, mm. that type of shit to be sprinkled, sprinkled on top of my shit and his regular voice. Like I'll say this, Send Dog was the master at changing tones left and right. I could not change tones too much because, you know, my I'm supposed to be up on this, you know, in these registers, you know, on these albums. And then here he is contrast. Yeah, so there's got to be that contrast. And, you know, Send Dog, he, he, he came with some dope shit to like just come up over over what, what I was doing. And, you know, no one in hip hop was coming up with some shit like that. Like having an alter, alternative voice that was by the same rapper to sprinkle on top of of the other elements. It was it was key, you know. Yeah, keep so, on top of some weed on top of inside of a joint. Yeah, exactly. Layered. Yes, yes, and then go ahead put some of that wax oil on there. For real. And have him right. So be real. I gotta ask you, brother. What's some of the highs and lows that you face that you're willing to talk about? You know, through through your ex extensive career. Well, you know, the highs obviously, you know, is it changed our lives. You know, we were we were broke as fuck, um, hustling. I mean, you know, there was times we had paper because we were hustling and shit like that. But you know, that shit was unstable. You know, sometimes you didn't have work or you might have got popped and came out with nothing and got to start the fuck over, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know how that shit goes. And so, you know, it was very much like that. You know, um, ups and downs in terms of, of how life was when you have nothing. And, um, but when things hit, it changed our lives for the better because it, it opened up the doors to different opportunities. We we were able to be successful at what we were doing, you know, in terms of making the music and then going and touring and winning, winning people over and conducting ourselves professionally. So that, that right there was like um, a key for us to like keep this momentum moving as long as we wanted to do it. Because realistically, that's what it is when you got momentum and, and, and motherfuckers are fucking with you. Right, right. It's about what you put into it from there. You can sit on your hands and let the momentum die down and then it's over and you gotta start over again. Or when the iron is hot, as they say, you know you fucking strike again, you know what I mean? You, you keep working, you, you get to the next plane, the next level and, and you keep branching the fuck out. And that's that's what we managed to do through you know, the success of the first album, we said, okay, fuck it. We're not, this shit ain't done. We got to get to the next level. It was never that we got complacent and said, oh, we're here now. So, you know, we could do what the fuck we, now. Nah, we, you know, because we were competitive, we always wanted to be considered one of the top. So, you know, we were never sleeping. We were always working and, and, you know, so the change, that change right there allowed us to like, be who we wanted to be, create what we wanted to create and work and make money for us and our families and shit like that. It changed our life. But the other way that it changed our lives, when, when you talk about, you know, some of the, the other shit that's not so great is that, you know, our privacy is now gone. 
you know, we couldn't like whereas before when when we no one knew us, we could walk in the mall, you know, anonymously and no one or or a store or wherever, you know, and no one would would fucking bat an eye. But when you have some sort of level of, of success, and you know, we had a pretty good fucking level of success. You Come can on. no longer just go in some of these places, especially at the peak, at the height of, of, of our shit. You know, I, I tried going into Montebello Mall, which is a place we used to frequent a lot before we blew up. Um, and no one would give two fucks. I mean, I, I knew people here and there that I might have went to school with when I lived in the area and shit like that, but no one knew who the fuck we were. Then after everything hit, I went there. And I swear to you, it was like the Beatles, the whole mall mobbed us. <laughs> and, you know, they, they asked us to leave because we caused such a fucking big commotion. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's sort of what you lose, the the the, the privacy. You, you're no longer a private citizen. You're a public citizen, you know. And, and with that comes the scrutiny, especially in these days and times. I mean, you know, we, we sort of had it easy back in... in the early days and even the early 2000s because you know you didn't have tmz and you didn't have all these different platforms where people want to bust you out for something you might have said something you might have done or something somebody's fucking saying about you you know we had it easy in that sense but um what 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 was fucked up for us is that you know we were a band that talked about legalizing cannabis on top of street shit, you know, gangster shit, things that were happening in society, you know, like seriously raw shit. So, you know, we always had things going against us in terms of will, would people want us to come play here or could we can't hire these fucking potheads to endorse our product because then, you know, all the anti-drug groups or, you know, these and that group will come against will come against that particular brand or business that wants to do business with us. So, you know, there there was times that we couldn't get a look because of what our politics were in terms of cannabis and shit like that. And, you know, then we had Dolores Tucker and Bob Dole come after us because of, you know, gangster rap. We got lumped in there somehow, even though we're not really considered gangster rap, but you know they they put us in there, so then, you know, our stickers, our, our albums had to have the explicit stickers and shit like that. Um, right. But those ain't really lows. Those are a part of the games, you know what I mean? I, I would say the lows, you know, with, with us is when we spend those times apart, you know, when everybody was, was, was doing their fucking own things and our, our brotherhood was kind of like separated because we were off busy doing other shit you know, individually and stuff like that. But the cool thing about that is that when you come back together, you have all these different skill sets and different experience and, and a different inspiration now. And being that there'll always be that chemistry anytime we get together, it's like fucking, you know, right. it's that shit. And, um, you know, but really not not so many lows man you know um a lot of them were highs <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> right right yeah. uh bro what was one of the hobbies you picked up after you came back from being on tour and life is good that you still do today 
oh, that I still do today. Fuck, oh, that's a hard one. Um, there was one that I was doing for a very long time. Um, yeah, I was paintball. Mm. I came back off of one of our last tours, and you know, we never really paused our touring for that long. We because we always were on the road. But there was a, a point where, you know, we, we had all been just like back and forth to Europe, back and forth to Europe, back and forth to Europe. And, and uh, we spent a lot of time there. I mean, fuck, we could be dual citizens. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, all the stamps. Yeah. And, and, you know, we said, fuck it, we're, we're going to take a little break. And my break, you know, one, it just happened to fall on uh on a birthday that Muggs had. Muggs had a birthday and his uh, his girl at the time got him tickets to a fucking paintball park so that him and all of his friends, uh-huh. you know, all our soul assassins, cohorts and all them, wow. could go down there and, and uh, you know, shoot each other up for Muggs' birthday, sure. right? So we fucking go down to Corona, I think it was, and uh, we play. And like 10 of us were fucking immediately addicted to paintball. We were like fucking addicted. After Muggs' birthday, I shit you not. I think we let one week go by so we could go buy our own equipment and we didn't have to rent it. And we just started playing every weekend. And then, you know, eventually that started, you know, our paintball team, which was our, our Stoned Assassins paintball team. And we'd go and compete in these uh-huh. tournaments called uh, the N- NPPL Super 7 or 7, some shit like that. And it's a seven-on-seven seven tournament where like 300 teams join the tournament. And there's different divisions, obviously. You know, there's novice, amateur, semi, or rookie, novice, amateur, semi, and pro. Um. And, uh, you know, we made our, our way up the rankings and got to, I believe it was uh, – I think we got to semi or something like that or amateur. I can't remember, but, uh, you still moved up the ranks. I I spent some years doing that and I could not, you know, I was addicted, man. I could not get off the paintball field as, 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 uh, painful as it is to get shot by them goddamn paintball paintballs at close range. It's fucking painful, but I'll tell you, man, there's nothing like it. It was exhilarating. Right. So, Eventually, you know, someone said to me at one of the tournaments, they said, hey, man, um, when are you going to start making music again? I mean, you've been out here, like, for three years. When are y'all going to put some new shit out? And it fucking hit me like a fucking thunderbolt right there, man. Like, oh, shit, yeah, you know what? We got to get back up in there. And so I started working on some mixed tapes. I worked on a solo album, and that led us up to um, – the Rise Up album, but that it was paintball that was like, if I could still do it now, I would, but I know how addicting it is, so I don't fuck with it, because I'll be out there on the paintball field, they'll, have me, they'll be having to pull me out to go back on tour or do some shit, because like, that shit was just... But I mean, bro, that's real life Call of Duty, like... It is, I mean, you know what's crazy is that... It's laser like, tag. It's chess with guns, at a very at a very fast pace and you have to communicate with your team to make moves you got to coordinate and a lot of times we'd play against cops that had teams we'd play against um armed forces 
it had teams like they would join the tournaments too. And, uh, you know, it, it was just a fun thing. And, and what's crazy is it's a co-ed sport. So, you know, it's not uncommon that the other side has a couple girls on the team that are shooting like a motherfucker. You know what <laughs> I mean? And then, and then, you know, there's times where they have like a, an all female team and they're fucking like on some assassin shit. You know what I mean? So oh. it's, it's a cool sport because, you know, you got kids and adults that play in in these different divisions and some of them play all together and co-ed it's it's it was very fun man again Bruh, as it, a kid the closest i got to paintball was getting the paintball some big five and throw them in the freezer and using a slingshot and hit cars and people when they rode by i was a little dentist the menace in the hood i hear that <laughs> that works <laughs> yeah but bro speaking of mug's birthday your birthday's coming up next tuesday you got any plans what you doing with the quarantine how you gonna make it work Shit, I don't know, man. Um, I used to celebrate my birthdays and shit like that, and 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 do the club thing. And I, you know, I was just talking about one of my birthdays. Um, and on on one of my Dr. Green Thumb podcasts, right? I did this pot, the uh, the last podcast with my homie Charles. Um, right out of uh, I mean, uh, known as the Godfather and Papa Shango, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and he was talking about. I think it was on my. It was either 32nd or 37th birthday that we was all up in Lowry's. There was like 20 of us, Lowry's up in Beverly Hills on La Cienega, you know? Huh. Yes, and sir. we started lighting up in the Lowry's, dog. We just said, fuck it. My, one of our homies who's an older gentleman, his name's Big Worm, he's a Southern gentleman, um, but he hangs with the homies and shit. He's, he's a homie for sure. He said, <laughs> fuck it, I'm blaze up in here. We're like, okay. And once he lit, the rest of us lit it up and no one in Lowry's, not the staff, not the manager, not the, no one <laughs> came and told us to put us out, put it out. Uh, I think it's because we were spending so much money in there. They're like, we're just going to let these motherfuckers do what they want. <laughs> let the cops deal with them when they roll outside. And when we came outside, there was some Beverly Hills Police Department chilling outside, waiting for us, but they did not say nothing. They let us get in the cars, leave. No one got pulled over or fucked with. It was surreal. I, you know, like in the realm of things that you could get away with, smoking weed in Lowry's and leaving right in front of the, the police. That was like, wow. That's epic. That's epic that was, as fuck. That was a hell of a birthday right there. I don't know if I could ever talk that. I don't know if I could ever top that, you know what I'm saying? So I'm gonna be, you know, chill and 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 you know, do some shit with the family and shit like that. Do do something relaxed, cause you know, doing something like that is way out. <laughs> Come on, bro, that's a big ass high, cause you know, really, if y'all don't know, Beverly Hills police do not play. They like to harass and bother worse than LAPD. LAPD is jump out boys. But Beverly Hills yeah. is is harassed. They get the paparazzi off the street, everything. <laughs> yeah, they don't want no. They they're it's like fucking with the sheriffs. Come on. There's certain police departments that get down like the sheriffs, where you cannot fuck around, and Beverly Hills is one of them. You know, like if you get pulled over time. by a sheriff, it's best to be on your best behavior. At LAPD, you know, you could sort of talk to them a certain way, but in the end you see what's going on out there it, you know it, it ain't it ain't conducive for anyone's health to talk to anyone any one of them motherfuckers any certain way right but mostly never a sheriff because they you know the, 
the way that they're trained is obviously, if you know, but a lot of people out here don't might be watching don't know, is that those dudes before they can get in a patrol car, they got to you know spend two years as a deputy in the county jail dealing with criminals, dealing with felons. So when they get on the street, they're aggressive. Whereas LAPD deal with scenario because they're academy. They don't deal with that real life shit. Nah, bro. Like as soon as you get to the Twin Towers, they bust you down if you look back. It's welcome to LA County, bitch. Like they don't play <laughs> at all. They will bust your shit down, leave you leaking, and then hey, you want to get through infirmary or you know you want to go through X-rays? Real shit. Out of game. So, uh, man, bro, I gotta ask you this one quick question, and then I'm gonna stop talking about music. We are gonna get into a little bit of my quick segments, and then we are gonna wrap up. But. Uh, Man, what would you be doing if you weren't doing music? Damn. Oh, uh, shit. I don't know, man. Um, I'd probably be cultivating. <laughs> something, something I, you know, something I know, something I was familiar with. Or I'd be writing in some way because writing was always a passion to me, you know. So it was either poetry, journalism, or music. So it would have been one of those. Damn, what's cold is we got music done, we got cultivating done. So that means you got film you writing, you just not telling nobody. Um, you know, I thought about it one one day, maybe, you know what I'm saying? I'll get into that. I just got to learn to get down first. Real talk, real talk. Man, bruh, so uh, interesting that, you know, if you weren't doing music, you'd be doing something you'd already be doing. It's just it all ties in. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, bruh, I got this next segment. I'm going to take a break on talking about music. You know, it's my awareness segment. I'm talking about police interactions. We spoke briefly about it earlier, but every episode I, I sit down with somebody and I ask them, you know, some, some shit. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about, you know, when the red and blue lights hit, that high beam hits the back of your neck, searches for everybody in the car, and then you hear the blurp sound. Blurp, blurp, and you're getting pulled over. And so I ask every guest, when was the last time they were pulled over? And, you know, shed some light on that and what to do in the situation for, you know, awareness portion of it so people know what to do, you know, from your perspective. Oh, man. Uh, I think probably got pulled over maybe two, three months before, you know, the pandemic and all that stuff. Because, um, you know, motherfuckers would pull me over all the time. That, that's the thing, you know, like depending on the car I was driving and what that car looked like and what I looked like to the police officer when I'm driving that car and what mind state he's in, right? Um, it would depend on how I got pulled over. Now, there are other times that I caused myself to get pulled <laughs> over because the thing is, you know, I, I'm heavy on the foot. You know what I'm saying? I, I drive fast. Um. Um, sometimes not all the time but that that's <laughs> that was one of my my things so like sometimes i you know i caused the problem by getting pulled over so i don't ever blame them now right so if if it's my if it's my fault i'm totally cool and <laughs> not disrespectful at all i'm just like you know what you got it this is on you what do you need blah 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 and and, and i'll comply right and i'll be polite I won't be a dick because I know I brought it on myself in that aspect. Now, other times that I've gotten pulled over where I was doing nothing, 
mm. and it was strictly profiling and looking at a, a, a Latin man with tattoos driving a very nice fucking car, um, I'd get pulled over for no fucking reason. And I knew it. And I knew that what they were looking for, I wasn't. You know what I'm saying? And I knew my rights. And I knew that, you know, even with, with the cannabis in hand, I knew the rights then. So whenever I get pulled over for what I thought was no reason and it was just harassment or just profiling or whatever, I would have an attitude. What did you pull me over for? What did you pull me over for? Tell me. I'm going to give you my shit, but what did you pull me over for? I'd like to know right now. And then, you know, when they, when they'll, <laughs> when they would try to give me an excuse, I'd cut them up. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. All right, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Here, here's my shit. Just get it over with. And in the end, sometimes they would just, you know, let me leave without citing me. And other times, you know, they went out of their way to cite me, like for shit that wasn't even a part of why they pulled me over. They would, you know, look for something. And that that was probably because of the attitude I gave them. But, you know, I knew I was clean. And in most times, I was going to get out of that without a fucking ticket. And I knew it because I, again, I knew what they were looking for and I knew I wasn't what they were fucking looking for. So I made, um, I made a point to sometimes be a dick to them when they were profiling. Is that yeah? Search the whole fucking car. Search for a weapon. Search for drugs. Search for it all. Just get it the fuck over with. <laughs> you know what I mean? That and, and that's how I do it to them. To the point. And sometimes I'd have a pound of weed in the trunk, telling them that. Like, listen, if you're gonna do something, just fucking, you know, like get it over with. Don't. Don't give me all this bullshit reason. You're going to pull me out the car, tell me you're going to put me under arrest and search the car and then fucking toss it. I don't give a fuck, but do something. Uh -huh. <laughs> and fortunately, man, I don't prescribe that to no one, especially not in this time. But I'm, I'm Mexican, you know what I mean? I'm Latin. I'm, I'm half Cuban, half Mexican and shit like that. But to a cop, that might be talking to me, he might think I'm white because I'm not a dark complected Latin person. You know what I'm saying? Right. So he may let me get away with some shit, you know, that I'm not, that I wouldn't get away with if I was slightly a shade darker Mexican. You know what I'm saying? Because he might think I'm white and, and, and give me a fucking pass for all that bullshit I'm fucking talking <laughs> to him. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't I don't prescribe that for nobody, especially in these times right now, because I mean, you know, these motherfuckers, they seem not to care in spite of what is going on out there. You know, they know they're under the microscope. They know what's going on right now in terms of the pandemic and trying to, you know, people keep people social distancing. They know that po police brutality is under a microscope everywhere. And yet they still do it, and these motherfuckers still allow it to happen. You know, so it's it's that's why people get that weird feeling when they see a cop behind them. Even the squares, even when the there, there's you know you might be in the car and somebody else is driving, and they're the cleanest motherfucker <laughs> that you know that don't do no drugs, they don't smoke no weed, they don't drink no fucking beer. But when they see the red and blue lights, they're like, oh shit. And there's no need for them to, to, to even feel that. 
people like us that, you know, we've ran the streets and, you know, we know what we were a part of, so we come to expect some shit, you know what I'm saying? It's it's a different get down. So when they pull us over, we already know, okay, here, here we go. Come on, hand. For, for the squares, even they get scared. And that's because of all the shit they're seeing that's happening right now. Bro, so I talk about it. All the time with my folks, because, you know, the squares will pull into a parking lot fast as fuck and forget to put on a blinker and be like, you stupid fuck. That's why your dumb ass got pulled over. Yeah, but it's man. like, well, you got to think because you're not used to the pressure of dealing with real life shit. You just get a reaction because the rest of the world is reacting. Yeah, exactly. And look, cops have been doing this for a long time before you and I were born. You know, oh. I'm about to be 50 on Tuesday. So think about that. Right. They've been doing this longer than both of us existed. And, you know, listen, when, when we put our first album out, there was two songs b uh, before our, two, 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 uh, two songs before our album came out that addressed the police here in California. <laughs> that was, you know, obviously NWA, Fuck the Police, and, and Cop Killer by Ice-T. And then we, we come along with pigs, you know what I'm saying? And, and this isn't something because we just wanted to single out police. This is something because, you know, this is the relationship that people of color have had with the police in, in people that, that live in the, you know, the, what they call the ghetto fucking areas, you know what I'm saying? I, just outside of the suburbs, you know what I'm saying? This is, this is what they're dealing with. This is who they're dealing with. And this is how they're dealing with it. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's, 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 the, the thing is, is now they're not just doing it to people in those places. They're doing it to people who look like they're from those places. And, and, you know, now the difference is fortunately is that people have videos in their cameras. I mean, in their phones. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you could actually capture that shit. So everything we've always been talking about, about the brutality and the harassment and the profiling and the fucking unfairness, you see that shit. Bro, and with Rodney King, we had to carry a 30-pound camcorder on our shoulder to go over there and capture that moment. You know, whoever took that out, they had to lift some weights to do that. It wasn't like how we have now. It's a boom, boom, iPhone. 4K, all your shit busted, and I got the audio. Hey, listen, eight people out of 10 got a goddamn smartphone with a camera along with video in it, right? So a, a lot of the times, you know, we used to complain, oh man, you know, our privacy is done because, you know, now anyone could film us anywhere and blah, 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 blah. But when you look at it, you know, it's a, it's a necessary evil, unfortunately, because, you know, now you're you're, you're able to capture when these dudes are stepping outside the lines of the law that they're fucking paid to uphold. Come on, come on. Man, Be Real, I appreciate you, bro, taking the time to discuss this with me because I always say knowledge is power, but when you use the knowledge, it's a superpower. And, you know, this is something that we all got to get some more power in in this topic and communication, handle, how to handle yourself. You know, bottom line, you know, if it's going to be active, take your ass to jail, man. Throw me in the back seat. Take what you're going to take. Like, you know, push the line if you have to. Just, you know, get through it because it's better to breathe and then instead of, you know, deal with the consequences of these fucking fuckboys.
do that, man. And I would say this, you know, it, 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 it's, it's like this, you know, we, we all got to stand up and talk about this shit and let the voices be heard, like, like what's going on now, all these rallies. But we can't be fucking up our own neighborhoods, man. You know, we, we made that mistake in the L.A. riots where we fucked up our own neighborhoods and, and you know, people that were mom and pop businesses from those neighborhoods suffered a lot from that shit. You know what I'm saying? So I would say, like, if we're going to do that shit, man, let's do a peaceful style and, and not let the antagonizers come and fuck that up. Because I'll tell you what, I would I would venture to say right now that there's motherfuckers on the other side paying people to go as protesters and do the fuck shit to like fucking ramp this this shit up so it makes it look like you know propaganda propaganda so you know i would should just say be on the lookout for that shit and be safe in these times and uh you know keep it 1000 with yourself and, and your peoples and protect each other and, and uh, stand up. Let your voice be heard. Come on, come on. Don't be afraid to hold the tongue. The tongue can, can cut a mountain if you let it. It's the power of the tongue. And let your mind go where it needs to go. It's faster than light. Close your eyes, go somewhere. That's right. Like, you know, people be really fucking shit off in their brains when they allow dumb shit to control them. Absolutely. But, Man, let me go ahead and let that go. Let that energy fly. I got this next thing called Trading Places. You know, Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy waking up and Mortimer's changed and he's in the, you know, now he's working in, in the uh, big old stock uh, stockbroker and the other guy's now a homeless person. And I took that idea and I was like, man, let's take two iconic people and swap their lives and talk about it. And so, you know, uh, I got two people for you. Uh, George Lopez. Is going to trade places with Flavor Flav. And question number one is, will that work? George Did Lopez you? trades spots with Flavor Flav? Yes. Can will you that keep work? that working? I, you know, I think George Lopez, you know, he's he, he can adapt. I think he would be able to do that. <laughs> now, <laughs> I don't know, you know, like, I don't know if they could you know, do the full swap and it and it works completely, but it would be interesting to see it. I'll tell you that shit. <laughs> Man, so what you would it be like George Lopez Hour of Love instead of, you know, how Flavor Flav did his shit? Flavor of George. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. And then what do you think a Flavor Flav show would be called with the family? Fuck. <laughs> Well, you know, that that's easy. The Flavor Flav show. Oh, okay, okay. You made it easy. I thought she was like, wake up time. Or like, because, you know, some with the time. But you right, you right. So do you really think George Lopez could survive in, in Public Enemy? Uh, I, yeah, I think he could hold his own, you know. Um, he loves music, you know. It, but his, his uh, strength is, you know, comedy wordsmithing in a different way. He probably could have been a rapper, George Real Lopez. Talk. Real talk. Or at least a ghostwriter. For sure. I Man. might have to write him a song. <laughs> <laughs> now that you mention it. There you go. Lil Duvall got some competition now. <laughs> oh, shit. Man, so you survived my trading places. Uh, I got one more thing you're going to lump and juke, uh, jump through. 
it's, it's my impulse Q&A where, you know, I got three random questions you got to answer. If you don't right. like the question, you ain't going to hurt my feelings. Just say pass and I'll come with another one. Okay. You ready? Question number one. What's your most unusual talent? Unusual talent. Unusual talent. Uh, that people wouldn't, wouldn't think. Yeah. Oh, bad motherfucker on the turntables. What? Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, you know, I I used to get down um, on the low, but not, you know, not like a lot of, you know, the pro DJs that you, that we all know as pro DJs, right? But like as rappers go, the DJ, yeah, your boy right here. So you and Snoop, you and Snoop Adele can battle? Uh, you know what? Snoop and I have have uh, have DJed some spots together when we first, you know, started getting out there as DJs. I mean, he gets out there much more than I do, you know. But that's because a lot of people don't know I get down like that. And like every now and then on my Instagram, I'll put a little, you know, a little something something right there. But you know, like now and then I'll go I'll go mix a club and shit like that. I used to I used to do this one here in uh, here in Cali with Adam 12, Aphex. And it okay. was a night, it was like a, um, it was a hip hop night. Primarily hip hop, like going back from 80s to 2006 or something like that. Cause he would, he would always put a time period on it. And I'd go in there and I totally fucking smashed the place. And people didn't know what I was gonna do because it's like, oh shit, this, this dude DJs, I didn't know that. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a hidden talent. Wow, wow. You could have been a lost member of the Beat Junkies. Okay. I could have, de have DJed for them. <laughs> come on. Come on. Question number good. two. What's no, something those, that those you... are my boys, man. They're, those motherfuckers are legendary, man. I okay. love those guys. And and, and real, realistically, getting to watch them DJ at the times where, you know, I've, I've been there with them spinning. I mean, I learned a lot from just watching because I can absorb it like, you know, that, that was the way that I learned. I watched Muggs get down on his turntables and, you know, I did what I saw him doing. And he'd like, oh, shit, okay, this is, look at, try this. And he'd help me tighten up. And so every DJ that I ever met that, that I was, you know, watching spin, I would learn something from him. And, and, and now and then they would actually show me when they realized I DJ, you know what I'm saying? So that helped me get better. So, yeah. You know, if if it came down to like maybe battling another rapper in 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 in, in DJ, yeah, you know, I'll give him a run. Uh, sure, man, that's gonna be a pay per view event. I'm just calling in now. I'm just. Oh, let's go. <laughs> Question number two: What's something that you hate but you wish you loved? Something that I hate that I wish I loved. Man, that's a good question. Probably shitty weed because it's less <laughs> <laughs> less expensive, right? <laughs> Come on. Come on. Hey, quick question. You travel the world, you tried the weed everywhere. California versus Amsterdam, who's winning? California. Hands down. They'll tell you that shit over there. They they've come to the realization that that Cali um has caught up and surpassed and is like the front runner in most cases, you know, we, uh, to me, 
And, and you can ask this of, of a lot of us that represent the cannabis culture, where the best cannabis in the world is, and, and sure. everybody's going to tell you California all day. Oh, yes, and, you know, there, there's, there's many of us that can say that, that have been to Amsterdam and been to all the other places that have legal cannabis. And we, you know, know some of the best guys out there growing in cannabis and shit like that. It's just, you know, California, we've been, it's, it's been doing it for so long, indoor in the south, outdoor in the north. And, and, you know, some of them grow up indoor as well up north too. But like, you know, in terms of California, from, from north to south, up and down, we have the best cultivators, man. That's just, that's just how it goes. Man, you know, I got told this funny story last week. It was someone that I ain't going to talk too much about, but they was on Up and Smoke tour and they, they used to be the ones carry the packs. And they'd be like, that weed is irreplaceable. And I guess like fans back on, on the uh, overseas, they'll put like, you know, they'll roll spliffs and put tobacco, put the damn backwood leaf in there. And yeah. it'd be like, you cannot fuck up my weed. It's irreplaceable. And I thought that shit was so funny because he's telling the truth. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, for us Cali boys, we're looked at as, as, as monsters. You know what I mean? We're looked at like monsters over there because <laughs> we'll go over there and we'll roll like fucking joints you know, like with a gram of weed in it, right. and we'll smoke right. it to the head, and Europeans will be like, "Damn, what?" Because <laughs> you know? realistically, a lot of them, not all of them, some of them smoke like us, and some of us, some of them are very close. Um, but the average smoker out there, they don't put nothing but a taste of weed in there. It's like mostly tobacco inside of a spliff and they'll put a little bit of cannabis because they only want to feel a little bit of the head change. They try to smoke one of these dogs, you know, to the head like that, or even sharing, and they're fucking in orbit for like hours and shit like that. And, you know, they, don't, they just don't get down like that. So when we come to town and we're just blazing the place with pure fucking cannabis in the fucking paper or the blunt, you know, what, whatever your deal is, they, they trip out because Americans and ca Canadians, we smoke fucking heavy like that. Come on. And they don't necessarily smoke like that. Yeah, no, I'm personally a backwoods smoker. So, hey, I, I get it. It's, it's a gram to two, three grams in there. Just, you know, depending on how much of a stick of dynamite you're trying to have. True that. So, man, question number three. What makes you feel old? What makes me feel old? Um, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, because it's a state of mind, you know, um, if you feel old, you're going to live old and let go. You know what I mean? And what I mean by let go of is like, you know, when, when, when you're, uh, when you're able and fit and, and you're out there trying to get it, and you're still hungry or, or you're, or you're, uh, competitive and you still got that fire, well, you know, it's a mind state, right? You can, you can get yourself into readiness, but it's up to you. Nobody can push that on you but you, you know what I mean? You have to believe that, right? So you can get up and be active. Like for me, you know, I'll fucking hit the gym and train like an athlete because I know that when I get on stage with my brothers or if I'm out there on a solo run, or I'm with the different band, or if I'm with Burner, or, you know, whatever, you know, with, with serial killers, that that hour and a half, I gotta be ready to fucking kill that 
hour and a half. You know what I mean? I got to be in a constant state of readiness. So my mind tells me, okay, this is what I got to do to do it. And that's like, even with the diet and, and all that shit, like maintaining the clean and healthy and fucking uh, proper fucking diet along with being active and working out. So for me, yeah, man, it's, it's a state of mind to me, like 50 is 25, baby. You know what I'm saying? If I went and died this, they wouldn't even know. They'd be like, hey, he's 30. Uh, 30 is <laughs> the new 20. Yeah. But, you know, like you could let go and not do shit and eat fucking horrible and not take care of yourself. And you will feel that 50 is like 100. I've seen it, you know, like the generations before us used to do that shit. You know what I mean? You see it. Motherfuckers that that, that uh, are at my age, that don't take care of themselves. They look twice the age. Right, right. So it's, it's all about how you take care of yourself. I mean, there's the cool thing about right now, though, is that there's a whole lot of 50-year-olds that don't look 50. They don't carry themselves like that. And they're with the shit. And that's because, you know, things are different in, in this generation. Is it, You know, we had technology and we had knowledge of how to take care of ourselves. And a lot of us made a choice to do that. You know, so it's it's like the choices you make. So, you know, you could be an old 50 or you could be a fit 50, Mike. <laughs> come on, come on. And it just ain't the women. It just ain't the women that's aging well. Shit, we know how to keep our men. We know how to do well, man. Yeah. It's important. There's, there's, you know, there's a playbook for us, man. It's just, you know, do you want to make the sacrifices that it takes to get there? And that's the shit we were talking about earlier. Like, for instance, right? Like, let's just say you're, you know, you're older and, and, and you're a little bit overweight and out of shape and shit like that. And you notice it and you want to fucking cut it down, right? Now, there's two things you could do, right? You could work out, cut that weight, get back in shape. What some people do after that is they let go again. They don't even realize that they've let go again. Why? Because they did it to fix it quickly. They didn't do it for longevity, right? Because if you do it for longevity, what you're doing is lifestyle. Adding adding the routine that took you to get there into your lifestyle so that it is now a part of your daily get down, your weekly get down, your monthly get down is to take care of yourself and to maintain where you got. Because the minute you let go, you go back to that shit. It doesn't just stay that way. You know what I mean? So it's like a quick fix gets gets you you know a quick result but it doesn't get you a long-term result you have to soak that shit in and make that a part of your culture part of your dna bro i had a big homie that taught me a long time ago he said stretch marks are a good thing that means it was big or or, or it went from buff to, to fat and they got to get it back it's either you know your body's right and it's trying to get back right or the girl you was messing with has a chance to get right right <laughs> no, that was perfect timing for that, right? Uh, bruh, I got to make sure I do this. I do this with all the fathers I have that come on my show. I make sure I give the time and give them their flowers for being a dedicated father because, you know, it's not easy being in the industry and taking the time, not even a second, just, you know, to get to, you, to, to your loved ones and got to make sure I, you know, take the time and do that here for you, bruh. Word up, man. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. 
man, big shout outs to Patty Torres. I got to make sure I give my loves to her for setting this up for me. And, you know, big shout outs to Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby D Presents. I appreciate you, brothers. Man, bro, uh, what's, what's coming up for you? What are you excited for? Like, you know, you, you done gump, jumped through my hoops and loops of, of my segments. It's the promote time. What you ready to promote and talk about? Um, the next, uh, you know, we got a couple projects coming out. Uh, we have the Serial Killers Project coming out with Demrick and Exhibit. Shit is fire. Uh, following that, my solo album produced by Scott Storch. So it's like, you know, Scott and myself on that shit. Um, Dope. That shit's fire, man. I, I got some pretty dope features on that shit. Um, it's it's going to be a good one, man. Uh, after that, I believe we got uh, we got a Cypress Hill album produced by Black Milk. That's that's going to be fire right there. And uh, and then we got another Burner Be Real thing. We, oh. we I'm not sure when that drops because we just drop Los Meadows, but we're going to work on something. But uh, also, I, I, I did I did an album with Psycho Less that we're actually mixing now. So I, we got nonstop music, man. Nonstop. I'm, I'm, I'm almost on 30 albums. Wow. In, in terms right. of, like, in terms of significant, um, significant mic time, not just features, you know, because I don't necessarily count that shit, you know, like, they count, but I'm saying in terms of the shit that I've been a part of as the Space Jam bro, count, huh? The Space Jam count, Space Jam. Well, I mean, that was a song for that movie, you know, so that was more like a feature. It wasn't necessarily like oh, you don't hold it like that I, was a part of the album list because it made the soundtrack because it was I, an album. I mean, it, yeah, but we didn't make that album, you know, we were featured on that album. You know what I'm gotcha. saying? I got you. 30 albums I'm talking about are, are albums like, say, let's say, for instance, I believe there's uh, maybe nine Cypress Hill albums. This would be 10 uh, with, with Black Milk doing the shit. I've done, you know, four albums with Burner. Right. Probably uh, two, three. Three, three, with, uh, three with Serial Killers. One and a half with Prophets of Rage. Uh, I got three, no, wait, I got, uh, yeah, I had three mixtapes that were album style the and with, with the prescription, the remedy, and uh, what, what else? Uh, the Psycho Realm album, the first one. Fuck. Um, Solo projects, you didn't even mention that. Yeah, my, my Smoke and Mirrors joint. And uh, yeah, I mean, shit, it's, it's a lot to mention, man. I got a, I got a hell of an uh, anthology. <laughs> yeah, so what what's something that you have to get done before you retire? Something that you know what's what's your goal, the end goal before you retire? Uh, oh man, I don't know. Um, maybe certain collabs that I, that I've always wanted to do, but I don't know if they're gonna happen. So you know, for me, it's just you know I'm a go. I'm gonna make music until I, I don't feel the fire for making music. And I don't know if I'll ever not have a fire for making music. I might not always be the artist performing the music. You know what I mean? I'm, I might go back into, you know, getting into production and shit like that because I, I, I do chop beats too. But, uh, you know, cause that's something I could definitely do. 
when when I feel like my mic time is done, when when I don't want to go out and perform anymore, that's phase one, right? That's when I know, okay, you know what? I'm slowing, I'm slow it down. And if it if it comes time to where like you know I get tired of recording, then you know maybe I'll call it quits. But I you know I don't feel that. I, I feel like I'm still like. Did I love it as much as I did when I started? I feel like I appreciate it more now and I know it better than I did when I started, but I still have the same love for it. Like the same eagerness to create and make music. It fucking doesn't matter to me how old I am. If it, if it, if it resonates and if it's relevant, cool. If it says something even better, you know what I'm saying? And if kids fuck with it, cool. If they don't, that's all right. Because, you know, the music will exist and motherfuckers will find their way to it no matter what. Whether right. they get it off the first pop or it's handed down to, them, you know what I'm saying? So for me, is as long as I, I laid down some shit that was like, you know, that, that quality shit we've always been known for and significant, something that says something. Yeah, meaningful. No, yeah. That's, that's real. That's real. Especially coming where you come from, you know, surviving the, the, the amazing shit you survived. And then not only do you have the story to tell, but you've been telling the story the whole time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the key to it. I mean, be yourself and tell, you know, tell the story that's, you know, consistent to who you are. You know what I'm saying? The shit that you've experienced. Hey, listen, you know, I, I was just saying this to somebody the other day, right? There's those of us who ran the streets that were banging, right? I was one of them. Some of us were able to, 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 to get into a situation where we're making music and we're talking about those stories, right? Those, those stories from the hood and all that shit. Now there's cats that they weren't banging, but you know, the way they tell it on, on, on songs is it's just as, as if they were. But here's the thing, right? those cats that weren't banging, they were still living in that neighborhood. They were still going through the same shit as a person living in that neighborhood. They may not have been a part of the fuck shit that was happening through the, the banging and the slang and all, all that shit, but they witnessed it firsthand. So to me, you know, like, I don't care if they're perceived as this or that. They're, they're, you know, they're allowed to tell that story just as much as those who were active were to tell the stories because they lived in those neighborhoods too. You know what I mean? And and when you tell the story, sometimes you tell it in a third person. Sometimes it's actually you. And you know, it, that that's the way it's always been and shit like that. So I don't ever knock anyone that, that came from the hood but didn't necessarily bang and they're coming off with some gangster shit. They're, you know, they're telling the stories of the shit they lived through. You know, you could tell you could tell some of the ones that exaggerate that ain't been through shit and ain't never spend a fucking day in the hood, but you know, it is what it is. Now, you know, bruh, be real. You notice my show, you've been unique. It's it's you know, I try to go to some of the same areas where other people ask questions, but I'm like, I don't stick to word for word, none of that shit. I try to be outside the box, keep that energy. And I'm like, how do I close out my show with that same energy? And my viewers know I'm getting ready to hit you with this, and this is how it goes. You got any questions for me? Ha! All right. See, now that's a good, that's a good one. 
Because people usually got to feed, you know, they got to they got to take that in and fucking process that. But I'll say it like this, man. With this with this platform, are you are you are you um are you with this platform to entertain, educate, or both? It's, it's honestly both. I come from a dynamics where I've been that kid that has gifts and talents, but grew up in poverty and poor. And, you know, you didn't get that push to climb over that cul-de-sac into a bridge and a success. And so you get around people that are afraid of success because they don't believe the same vision you do. And so you keep on running into obstacles and you live a normal life. And then, you know, it took some shit in from my life to open up and be like, this shit ain't normal. This is easy for me. Like, you know, I got to start pursuing it and people telling me no's. And so I took that angle in and pressed it. And so, you know, this is what you get now. I'm, I'm in it for the entertainment because it takes for people to understand what life is really like. Because some of the sad shit we go through, we got to love the process and understand that's entertainment too, if you take a good eye on it. And, you know, the other part of it is that, you know, the success story is, is really to, to motivate, to improve. You know, life is nothing if you can't leave something with someone to, to grab and to hold and make something of it. That's right. That's right. Okay, my, my, my last question. Are the Lakers going to get that ring? Come on, bruh. Come on. We've been going through fucking, I can't remember how many losing seasons, man. Like, we, we going to get it this year, goddammit. Bro, I'm ready to go crazy one time and do the whole parade and, you know, really, you know, take it off in the right way. Yeah, man. I, I, you know, I think we're going to get it, man. We're going to be celebrating in L.A. with our boys and shit. Hell yeah. Absolutely. It's going to be nothing like it. They're going to have this a, a bus that's by itself with Kobe all the way through it. And only person going to drive it type shit. It's the ghost Kobe track. Uh, but it's contrast a cut. It's season three. It's episode 28. Man, big shout outs Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby B Presents. I appreciate you, brothers. I want to be able to do incredibly dope shit like interviewing Be Real, one of my idols. Like, this shit is an honor, brother. And go over stories and and get the history and man we went over so many different areas i feel like we painted a whole wall and we ain't making music hell yeah we bombed the fuck out of it man be real i appreciate you brother thank you yes sir thank you bro that's real Popping off, yo, this is Be Real, aka Dr. Green Thumb. Contrast cut. Salute to Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby D. That's family right there. Keep it blazing. Sir, yes, sir. Damn. Right there, there you go. Another episode of Contrast Uncut. Make sure if you enjoyed it, you leave a comment below. You hit some like buttons. You hit some uh, subscribe. You go ahead and hit share if you want to. Say something nice or say something you don't want to say at all. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Comment below. Did, did you tell them to subscribe? Yeah, subscribe. 
I know I said it, but he's subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. You know, be a part of the family. Contrast uncut. The best way to be a part of the family is in the know. Turn on your notifications and hit that subscribe. Thank you.